What's up, what's up, New Hope? Hope you are having a fantastic day and uh, so excited that you are here at church today, either in a watch party or you are watching this worship celebration somewhere. Regardless, welcome to experiencing joy in the midst of it all. I'm so excited to have Tiana Spencer back with us today. Tiana is no stranger to this church. She has preached from the platform before. Uh, unfortunately, she's in Southern California and they are on lockdown mode, but she was gracious and willing to honor the commitment we had on the calendar. And she is going to bring a word to us today. Let me tell you a little bit about Tiana. She was born and raised in San Diego, California received Christ when she was 14 years old, quickly fell in love with Jesus and a passion to preach the word. She started bringing the word to life with teenagers in student ministries. She got a biblical studies degree from Biola University in LA where she got engaged to her high school best friend, Brandon. And uh, they have a beautiful, beautiful family. She currently serves on the teaching team and as a worship leader at Fellowship Monrovia in Southern California. She enjoys raising her daughters, enjoys writing and traveling and preaching the word. And I am just so excited to have this woman of God back at New Hope Church. So grab a Bible, grab you something to write with or type with, and let's hear what God is going to say to the New Hope movement today. Hey, New Hope, my name is Tiana Spencer, and I am so glad to be back with you all again today. Listen, today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says in verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, my husband, I've been married for uh, almost 15 years. He is the most amazing husband. He is one of the sweetest, gentlest, most kindest men um, that you'll ever meet. But here's the thing about my husband. The brother is a grump in the morning. And maybe you have one of those people in your house as well who are just grumpy in the morning. I mean, this ain't nothing godly about my husband in the morning. I'm telling you, it's like I've learned over the last 15 years, do not speak. My kids know, don't speak to daddy in the morning. Daddy needs a couple of hours to get, get out of his sleep. Now, I'm not necessarily a morning person, but I'm not grumpy. Like, I just feel like if I'm up, I'm going to be up, right? Ain't no sense of being mad about it, but my husband is totally different, and my oldest daughter is actually very similar as well. But here's the thing I've learned. One thing that gets my family, my entire family, up in a good mood, the one thing is when they smell a big home-cooked breakfast. It's, I never see my husband have an attitude at a table full of food, amen? Never. And so something I've noticed happens when the aroma of a hot breakfast fills my entire house, it, it shifts atmosphere, it changes attitude. Something happens in the Spencer household. Breakfast in the Spencer household is an atmosphere shifter. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you smell that bacon and the, the grits and the eggs and the cinnamon rolls, whatever it is Bob is making, it, it, it shifts the atmosphere. Breakfast, at least in my household, is an atmosphere shifter. And you know what else is? You. You 
are an atmosphere, atmosphere shifter. Y'all, do you understand that we have the ability to be atmosphere shifters? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to actually change the atmosphere, the atmosphere of our home, the atmosphere of our mind, the atmosphere of our hearts, y'all. And this is more important ever than, than more important right now than it has been ever. Why? Because right now the atmosphere is ripe for fear. Right now in our world, you can turn on the news, whatever it is, the atmosphere is ripe for depression. The atmosphere is ripe for hopelessness. And for some of us, it's, it's already in our homes right now. For some of us, the hopelessness already exists. The, 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 the fear already exists. The atmosphere is already happening. But y'all, we have the ability to be atmosphere shifters. This is why I love Paul, because Paul is an atmosphere shifter. Paul, Paul is writing to the church while on house arrest. He's, he's chained to a guard, and he's, he's still, though, shifting the atmosphere. You see, if you look at this verse, you see that he is writing to Philippi to thank them for their support, as well as to encourage them. And as he's encouraging them, if you pay real close attention, you can also see how Paul is also encouraging himself. He's shifting his atmosphere of the home, wherever he's being held, he's shifting his atmosphere right there on lockdown, right there in his own quarantine. Paul is shifting the atmosphere. And so I want to talk tonight about the three atmospheres I see Paul creating in the house that he's in, because I believe that we need to create the same in ours. If we're going to make it through this season, if we're going to thrive and not just survive, we got to shift atmospheres. And so I want to be very practical today, and I'm going to share with you some things that I've even been doing in my life to shift my own atmospheres. And so the three atmospheres Paul creates in his quarantine were this. He created the atmosphere of gratitude, the atmosphere of joy, and the atmosphere of confidence, the atmosphere of gratitude, atmosphere of joy, and the atmosphere of confidence. Let me pray for us. God, um, you are so good. You are so faithful, God. You know everything that's going on in every single household, everybody that's watching me right now. You see and you care, God, and you have given us the ability to shift atmosphere. So God, would you speak a word? Would you speak a very specific rhema word today? Your children are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, the first atmosphere we see in the home of Paul is the atmosphere of gratitude. Verse three says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Hey, give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. He is giving thanks and, and he's doing it often. This is what we see. He's giving thanks and he's doing it often. Paul says, I give thanks every time I remember you. Now remember, he's writing to a church that he loves. It was actually the very first church that he planted in Europe, okay? So this church was very significant to Paul. And he says, every time I think of you, I thank God. Every time I think of your faithfulness, every time I think of your love towards me, every time I think of you, I can't help but say, thank you, Jesus. I praise him. Think about that. Paul's on house arrest, continually thanking God. A situation that should be full of grief is overwhelmed with gratitude. Y'all, that is not normal. Yet Paul shows us that it's possible. It's possible to be in an unfavorable situation and still thank God. It's possible to be sitting in quarantine and still thank God. It's possible to be separated from loved ones, unable to provide for ourselves, having our very livelihood threatened, and still be in a state of gratitude. But here's the thing. We all know that it's possible. The problem is that it's hard, isn't it? You see, for multiple reasons, y'all, sometimes we, we are so blinded by the, by the hard that without intentionality, we won't even see anything to be grateful for, right? That's one of the reasons why it's hard to have gratitude in a season like this. And, and so uh, for, 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 that's for one reason. But, but you know one of the other reasons? 
You find it hard to be grateful in seasons like this? If we are honest, it's because we just don't want to be. We don't want to be grateful. We don't want to say thank you to God. Why? Because when we feel like God has allowed so much to go wrong, the last thing we want to do is thank him for something. Am I right? Can we just be real today? The last thing we want to do is thank him for something. So what we do is we intentionally withhold thanks as a form of punishment towards God. Saying, God, you don't deserve my thanks right now. You know, he ain't acting right. He is not, God is not behaving. God does not deserve me to thank you. He isn't what, he isn't doing what I, I think I need him to do right now. So there is a resentment there. There's a resentment there. And here's the thing. It is hard to be grateful when you are holding a grudge. It is hard to be grateful when you're holding a grudge. And if we were honest today, some of us could have, would have to say that we are holding a grudge against God. A grudge because out of nowhere we were dropped into this crisis and now our whole world is turned upside down. We're holding a grudge because we didn't ask for any of this. And so what we are doing is sitting in our homes being resentful. And can I tell you real quick that that's okay? Can I tell you that God, he allows for that. He allows us to be human, to feel all the feelings. But can we talk for a second about the cause of the resentment? That's what I want to sit in today, at least in my own life. Oftentimes, the cause of my resentment towards God, you know what it is? It's one thing, entitlement. It's entitlement. You see, we have grudges when we say, I don't deserve this thing to be happening to me. I don't deserve to lose my job. I don't deserve to be sick. I don't deserve to lose my rights. What we don't realize, though, is that when we say that, we are actually saying on the flip side is, I deserve to always have a job. I deserve to always have my health. I deserve to have a pain-free life. And so what happens is we slip into this mindset of entitlement where we believe that we are actually owed something. We believe we're actually owed something. Here's the truth, y'all. We are not owed anything. In fact, the only thing, if we're honest, the only thing we are owed is death. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. And the gift of God, though, is eternal life. The only thing we are owed is death, y'all. And anything other than death is grace. Anything other than death is grace. All the things that, that God gives us is grace. We are owed nothing. And I know this is not something we want to hear. We want to believe that because of our good character, we're owed something. We want to believe that because of our faithfulness to God, we are owed something. And yes, God does honor those who honor him. But y'all, that is not a debt he is paying to you. That is a grace he is bestowing on you. You need to hear that, 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 that whatever good God gives to us, it is a grace he's bestowing on you, not a debt that he's paying to you. Everything we get in this life is grace. Every job, every child, every paycheck, every clean bill of health, it's grace. And grace is never anything we are entitled to. Grace is always something we are indebted to. And this is huge. Because when you understand the grace, you can release the grudge. When you understand the grace, you can release the grudge. When you realize that all he has already done for you, you don't live expecting things. You live expressing thanks. You live expressing this because you realize that God don't owe you nothing, nothing. You see, Paul realized that God did not owe him anything, but that he owed God everything. So Paul says, even in prison, I'm finding reasons to thank God. Even facing death, I'm finding reasons to thank him. Even when I don't know which way things are going to go, I'm finding reasons to thank him. You see, Paul knows that he is not owed even freedom. 
He is not owed freedom, prosperity, or a pain-free life. The only thing that I am owed, Paul says, is death. And because of that, even this prison cell is grace. Even the prison cell is grace. So Paul could create an atmosphere of gratitude. Y'all, we have to learn how to do that because when we refuse to express gratitude, we think we are withholding something from God when in actuality, we are actually withholding something from ourselves. Do you know that there's been so much research uh, on, on, on uh, neuroscience on what gratitude does for you? They've done research all over the place of how it actually, being grateful actually changes the neural structures of the brain. It, it makes us feel happier and more content. It, it says gratitude improves psychological health. It reduces emotions like jealousy and frustration. It, it, it improves self-esteem. It helps you sleep better. It reduces anxiety and depression. Gratitude does that. People who have gratitude, they have shown a marked reduction level of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Okay, by, by merely acknowledging, this is what the study show, by merely acknowledging and appreciating the little things in life, the studies show we can actually rewire the brain to deal with the present circumstances with more awareness and a broader perception of thought. Why am I saying this? Why am I saying this? Why? Because all throughout scripture, God tells us to give thanks unceasingly. And of course, that's because he is worthy of it. And us thanking him is our acknowledging our need of him. But the beautiful thing about God is that as he gets the praise and gratitude that he is due, he is also in his grace divinely created the brain so that we benefit from it too. Isn't that crazy? As we give God praise, he has created the brain to where we benefit from the same, we benefit from the gratitude that we are expressing to him. Now, one of the practical ways I do this, I told you I want to get practical today, is I begin, I keep a gratitude journal. Daily, I write out things that I'm grateful for. And I know that we've all heard of this, but the question is, are you doing it? One, because, because he, he, we don't do it often because we just, we're too busy. We don't pay attention or we don't think about the things that we're grateful. But we need to understand that that is a part of creating an atmosphere of gratitude is actually taking the time to pay attention to what has God done for me? What has God done for me? So I got my journal out and I actually begin to journal and I write out every day things that I'm thankful for every single day. And maybe you say, you know, I don't know what to thank him for. Maybe the pain is too loud and I can't see what to thank him for. Listen, that's real. That is real. But can I tell you that there is always grace? There is always grace to be found. If you just take the time to look around for it and acknowledge it, there was always grace to be found. This word thank and the Greek word is the word eucharisto. At its very core, it means to acknowledge how good grace is. To acknowledge how good grace is. Listen, you need to tell, hear me say to you today that there is goodness and mercy right here in this season. Right here where you're at. There is goodness and mercy. Your job is to find the grace and thank him for it. Your job is to look and see what has he done? How faithful has he been? What is, how has he been showing up? Even if you feel like it's small, find the grace and thank him for it. You want to shift the atmosphere? Look for the grace. And every day, grab a journal and thank him for it. And see the benefits to your own body, the benefits to your own soul, the benefits to your own spirit. The first atmosphere that Paul created in his prison was he created the atmosphere of gratitude. Listen, the second atmosphere we see in the home of Paul is the atmosphere of joy. He says in verse four, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is praying with joy in prison. Why? 
because of their partnership with him in the gospel. Not only have they financially supported him, this Philippians, but they have continued uh, with the mission. The gospel is being shared. Souls are still getting saved. And so Paul is sitting in prison full of joy. Why? Because God is still being glorified. That is what's giving him joy, That where joy should not be found. No quarantine was going to take it away. No beating was going to take it away. Even in the middle of uncertain circumstances, Paul has still found a way to create an atmosphere of joy where he's at. This word joy in the New Testament is virtually always used to signify a feeling of great delight that is based on spiritual realities. Joy is, is, is a feeling of great delight that is based on spiritual reality. You see, the reason why Paul's joy was untouchable was because it was tied to something intangible. It was tied to something intangible. It was tied to something the world could not take away. There's an old song that says, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And if the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. That's the joy that Paul had, a joy that the world could not take away. Why? Because his joy, his joy was based on his spiritual realities, not his physical ones. Let me ask you, what is your joy based on right now? Right now, and this is what is your joy based on? You see, the reason, church, why, why some of us are struggling to have joy in this season is because prior to this, we have spent so much time investing in our physical realities that as we have watched them disintegrate before our eyes, we feel like our joy has went right along with it. Can we talk about it today? Our joy has gone right around, right along with those things that have, that have disintegrated before our eyes, the things we have been investing in all of our time into, all of our joy into, all of our hope into. And I'm not downplaying the situation at all, y'all. There is much to be mourned over in our world today. Much to be mourned over. But here's the deal. While there is great mourning to be done because of our physical realities, I need you to hear me today say there is still great delight to be had because of our spiritual realities. There is still great delight to be had because of our spiritual realities, y'all. There is still great delight to be had even in this situation. Why? Because if you are a blood-bought believer filled with the spirit of the living God, then regardless of what has happened in your physical reality, your spiritual reality has not changed. It has not changed. You are still who he said you are. None of that has changed. And yes, our physical realities are speaking loud right now, but guess what? God is too. God is still speaking. The question is, when they are both speaking, your physical realities and your spiritual realities, when they're both speaking, the question is, which one are you listening to more? Which one has your attention? You guys, sometimes we have to fight for our delight. And yes, it is ours for the taking, but in seasons like this, it oftentimes does not come easy. Listen, y'all, the battle is real. I don't know how many weeks into this uh, pandemic we are in, but it is real. And a lot of us are tired. We are weary. A new reality is set in and hopelessness is setting in. And so the battle is getting more and more real. And what is happening is that our physical realities are attempting to dominate our spiritual realities. But y'all, we get to control which atmosphere dominates our house. We get to control which atmosphere dominates our mind and our soul. So when the battle gets real, y'all, this is not the time to succumb. This is the time to suit up. 
This is the time to suit up. This is the time, y'all, to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes and tactics of the enemy. This is when we have to remember that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. This is when we have to stand on the truth that the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This is not the time to succumb. This is the time to suit up. This is war. This is war right now. One of the practical ways the Lord has had me doing this, having me do battle in the spirit is through a journal, another, a journal that I keep. For months, I was feeling the Lord nudge me to begin writing down specific scriptures, specific scriptures. When, when, when I was um, struggling with certain things, I felt like he was calling me to write down these scriptures. And do you know that when you write down something with a pen and paper, you are stimulating a collection of cells in the base of your brain known as the reticular activating system. This is a system that filters all the information your brain needs to process, and it gives more attention to what you are currently focusing on. I want you to hear me. In other words, the physical act of writing brings information to the forefront of your brain and triggers your brain to pay close attention to what you're writing. This is scientific, this is neuroscience, that's what it does. And so what I began to do, knowing all of this, I began to uh, look down scriptures. If I was, steady, if I was uh, struggling with low self-worth, I would look up scriptures on low self-worth. And every day, I would pick 10 scriptures for the month. That whole month, every day, I would write those scriptures down. Every single day. If I was struggling with uh, a fear, I would set that whole month. I would look up a script, 10 scriptures or whatever about fear. And I would, every day, I would write down those scriptures every single day for that whole month. And I would begin to speak those things up myself. And they begin to be fortified in my, in my mind. So that's what I started to do depending on what I was struggling with. And so because I'm doing that, I know that I'm not only edifying my mind, but I'm fortifying my memory. I'm, I'm edifying my spirit. Y'all, that's what I began to do. And that is how we fight. That is how we fight with the word of God. Y'all, if you are not doing that, if you are not fighting with the word of God, you need to know that you are losing. You need to get, begin to get a scripture, get a, get a journal, get a Bible, write down scripture, memorize scripture, begin to speak them over yourself so that when our physical reality says that this is all too much, you know that your spiritual reality says, no, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You need to begin to write down these verses so that when your physical reality says the enemy is winning, you know, no, my spiritual reality says the greater is he who is in me than he who was in the world. We begin to fortify our mind with scripture so that when our physical reality says we can not go on any longer. We know that our spiritual reality says, no, that they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not go faint. Listen, this is what we have to do. We have to begin to fortify our minds with scripture so that regardless of what our physical reality is saying, we get to let our spiritual reality have the last word. We have to let our spiritual reality have the last word. So we pull out a journal. We pull out a Bible. We begin to fortify our minds with scripture. We begin to speak these things over our physical realities because we get to choose, church, which one dominates our home. We get to choose which one dominates our mind, which one dominates our spirit. Is it joy or is it sorrow? Is it delight or is it despair? Paul created an atmosphere of joy because his, his, his joy was tied to something intangible. It was tied to something that was not a part of his physical realities. Which one is yours tied to? We get to choose which one dominates. This is not the time to succumb. It is the time to suit up. Listen, the last atmosphere we see in the home, Paul, 
is the atmosphere of confidence. He says in verse six, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Uh, he, he says to the Philippians, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work will carry it to completion. He's saying, I know that God has started something in you. He's saying, I know that because he started it, he will finish it. Meaning that God is not through with you yet, he's telling them. Can I just stop here and tell you right now that God is not through with you? Listen, I know that it feels like it may be over and you cannot possibly see how you're going to keep making it out of this season, how you're going to keep going through this season. But I want to tell you, just like Paul told the Philippians, that he who started a good work on you will complete it until the day of salvation. He is still doing something in you. He is still forming something in you. Your best days are not behind you. He is not a God that starts things that he does not finish. He began something in you and he will finish it. This is what Paul is telling them. He's a God who finishes what he starts. But more so than that, what Paul told them, I want you to look at, at what this statement tells us about Paul. Listen to what this statement tells us about Paul. Paul is sitting in prison telling them, I'm sure he will finish what he started in you. Sure, he, he's sitting in prison, sure of the faithfulness of God. He, he, I want you to think about that. This is the time where you begin to doubt God's goodness, right? When you're in prison, you begin to doubt God's goodness. This is the time where you begin to question his character and his love for you. If there's any season where, where your confidence in Jesus would wane, it would be this one right here. But Paul is writing them. He's saying, I'm confident in this. He's saying, I may not know what's going to happen to me, but I, I may not know if I'm going to live or die. But one thing I know is that God is faithful. I am confident in his faithfulness. I'm confident in his goodness. I'm confident in his loyal love. And Paul, in other words, Paul is saying, regardless of what his current situation is, he is confident that his grim circumstances has no bearing on his God's character. He is confident that his grim circumstances have no bearing on his God's character. Paul is sitting in prison, confident in his God. Are you? Are you confident in your God? Are you confident in his character? Uh, are you confident in his goodness? Because here's the thing, you can recite all the scripture you want, but if you are not confident that he will be true to them, then we have a whole other issue. But Paul is confident. And as I study, I asked this question that I was studying, I, Paul, how are you so confident? How are you chained to the guard, still confident in his faithfulness, confident in his goodness? This word, sure, that Paul says in this verse means to be persuaded or convinced. It suggests that a conclusion has been reached on reasonable ground. What does that mean? It means that Paul is saying, my confidence comes from the fact that I've seen him. Paul is saying, my, my confidence comes from the fact that I've experienced him. He's, he's given me sufficient evidence to prove the fact that he is and will always be a faithful God. He's persuaded me, Paul says. He's persuaded me. He's been faithful. You see, oftentimes the reason we can't have long-term trust in God's character is because we're too busy having a short-term memory of God's faithfulness. We cannot have long-term trust in his character because we're too busy having a short-term memory of his faithfulness. Church, has he done anything for you? If you're struggling to believe God right now, I just want you to ask you the question, has he done anything for you? Has he, has he ever come through for you? When I think about this, I think about the children of Israel and as they were getting ready to go into the promised land, I, I was studying this a while ago and I paid attention to God was, as he was getting ready to go in the promise and God began to tell them over and over again one thing, remember. I saw this word over and over again. Remember, remember what I've done for you. Remember how I brought you through. Remember what happened in Egypt. Remember how I fed you manna. Remember, remember, remember. I began to underline this word remember over and over and over again. Remember, 
Because he said it to him over and over. It's as if he knew you, what you remember about me has everything to do with how you're going to respond to me in the future. What you remember about how I've been faithful to you in the past has everything to do with how you're going to trust me in the future. Remember, remember, remember. Let your memory persuade your response. That's what he was telling the Israelites. And that's what I'm here to tell you. Let your memory of God persuade your response to God in this season. You need to remember what he's done for you. Listen, one of the practical ways I've done this in my life is by making a list of his faithfulness to me. Making a list of the ways that God has come through for me, specifically things that God has done over the, the 37 years of my life, writing over and over again. And I go back, when I'm doubting God, I go back and I read that list. Some of you need to sit down today and make a list of how faithful he's been. Make a list of how he's come through for you. You need to read it. You need to read it. You need to read it until it persuades you to respond to him in a different way. Till it persuades you to trust him like you've never trusted him before. Till it persuades you to keep going just for a little bit longer because you know that if he has not failed you before, he will not fail you now. Listen, I'm telling you, if you don't do anything else in this season, you need to remember who he's been to you. You need to remember what he's done for you. You need to remember how he's brought you through. You need to remember, 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 remember. And then you need to let your memory persuade you to believe him again, to trust him again, to wait on him again. This is how you create an atmosphere of confidence by remembering his faithfulness. Listen, we are atmosphere shifters. We are atmosphere shifters. We don't have to be uh, stuck. We can have joy right now. We can have peace right now. We can have confidence in our God right now. All we have to do is make a choice to shift the atmosphere. The devil, the devil is a lie. We are victorious. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can still have joy even right now. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you, that you begin to shift atmospheres right now, that you would not settle for anything other than when Christ died to give you on the cross. We are atmosphere shifters. Now let's start acting like it. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this, these voices of these people that are under my voice right now. God, I thank you that you love them, that you see them, that you care. I thank you that you have deposited those who have trusted in you, the Holy Spirit, that we have the ability to change atmospheres, God, that if we just sit in your presence, if we begin to think about your faithfulness, we begin to, 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 fo to focus on who you've been to us, God, we have the ability to be grateful even right now. We have the ability to have joy even right now. We have the ability to have peace even right now. God, I pray that our physical realities would not dominate our spiritual realities, God. God, I pray that you would help us to begin to shift the atmospheres, every atmosphere we have, every home, every mind, every soul will be shifted in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, New Hope.